Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malkin. Today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as clean tech comms and analytics consultant, science tech culture writer, co-founder of At Year Sessions. Expect dog content. Humans of Twitter is their stories into their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Keaton Joshi. Hello, Steve. How are you? Look, I'm, I'm doing very well. Thank you, Keaton. It's awesome. lovely to speak with you. I'll start with the inevitable. I know you're expecting it. <laughs> it's social settings. How do you introduce yourself? Uh, usually, usually it's, hi, I'm Katan. And, and then there's a, like a brief pause and they're like, Hey, hey, Ken- Kenton! <laughs> like, oh, uh, what? Well, it's Katan, and they're like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh God, what have I done? Every, <laughs> it's just this moment of panic, and I see their face fall, and I'm like, really, it's okay. I understand. I, you know, it's it's okay. <laughs> well, this is the the marvelous point where I get to step in, Katan, and go. I have badly mispronounced your first name. Well, no, you haven't. So, um, and I'm sorry. No, no. Well, te- technically, I'm mispronouncing it too. So, um, really? my the original, yeah, yeah. So, so the original Gujarati pronunciation of my name is Ketan, um, which you sort of say in like a slight Indian right. accent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my and my parents are constantly, um, you know, having a go at me. They're like, "Why do you say Katan?" And they kind of repeat it back to me in this mocking tone, like, hello, I'm Katan. <laughs> um, you know, I sort of, I picked that way of saying it because um, it, it just seems to flow the easiest when I introduce myself. Mm. So I tried a few variations when I, when I first came to Australia um, when I was a kid, and that one seemed to be the best. You also have to deal with Anglo idiots like me that can't pronounce it right to start with. Oh, look, it's it's. I'm actually pretty understanding about it because it, my name is not an Anglo name, and it's and it's and it was designed to be spoken in a different accent. Um, mm. It emerged. It sort of evolved in a different accent. So, um, yeah, it's not really it's not really a problem. Uh, there are a few people I've encountered who try a little too hard to put a bit of a to put a bit of an ethnic edge on yes. it, and they're like. Hey, hey, Kathafafa. <laughs> just like, I can't. What are you saying? That made no sense at all. Try again. <laughs> That's pretty But fun. impressive that you tried. It's like me trying to do a high jump, right? It's mm. not going to happen. But if I put a lot of effort in, it'll look graceful for about a half a second. Yeah, fool, fool them and dazzle them and, and then, you know, run away. Throw a smoke bomb down and run away. <laughs> look over there. Run the other direction. <laughs> yeah. So you, you mentioned you came to Australia uh, when you were a child. Where did you come from? What's what's the story about you being in Australia? So so I was I was born in in London. Um, I, I sort of have a, quite a international family. So my parents were actually born in Kenya. They yes. they they have Indian ancestry. They moved to London in the late seventies. I was going to commend um, you on your brilliantly uh, English. Thank None. you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know. Yeah, well, you know, uh, so I'll, I'll come to that in a second, actually, because there's, there's a funny story related to that, too. But mm. when, so when we moved to, to, to um, London, I was born there um, and we decided to move to Australia in, in 1994. I've always wondered why we moved, why we migrated mm. from London to Sydney. 
And my parents give me a different story each time, so I have absolutely no idea. It's like the Joker telling the story, like, how did I get these scars? You know, it's just completely yes. different. <laughs> Although, you know, less horrific, obviously. Um, so, At least one of the yeah. retellings is. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I have no idea why we moved, essentially, but um, uh, I wanted to change my name to Eric when we came to mm -hmm. Australia. I was like, this is awesome. We, you know, we're starting afresh. So, um, and the reason I chose Eric is because Banana Man... That's his name when he's in human yes. form. Um, and, you know, it's just like, yeah, that's a, as good a name as any. I'll just be, I'll just be this weird banana morphing alien thing um, when I go to Australia. You and, didn't even pick Graham, Tim or Bill, which would have been just as easy. <laughs> no, uh, well, it was all to do with the bananas. Um, a little banana related decision. Which is a lot of my, you know, decisions in life uh, related to bananas somehow. <laughs> yeah, that was good. And then, you know, my brothers were older. Uh, my brothers were in their sort of like mid-teens when we came to Australia. So, um, yeah, they had, you know, they've got plenty of funny stories as well. I've got two older brothers um, mm. with similar accents to mine, um, which both inspire the same sort of confused questions when we, when we introduce ourselves at parties and they hear our accents and they're like, where are you from? That's a bit weird. I, I wouldn't have said that you have an accent. I So, um, I, it really depends. Uh, some people say that I have like a slight British kind of um, tinge and other people say I sound completely Australian. Um, when I visit my brother in America, Americans think I sound mm. British. Um, I, yes. And Europeans just, they, they don't really care. They just, <laughs> like, I don't care what you sound like. Europe's got a whole other thing going on, right? They do. We need to sort out what's happening in Greece before they start worrying about how to pronounce Catan's name. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Gosh, man, that, that would have been, I'm sure, quite an adjustment. I mean, I, you say that your parents have a different story every time you ask them, why did we move to Australia? Mm. I mean, I could give you about six reasons. The weather, the weather, the weather, the <laughs> weather. England is full of Brits and the weather. My suspicion, I have a, I have a theory... Uh, I think it was family. Like we've just got, you know, we've got like a whole bunch of um, family there, and you know, it, it was it, London's pretty dense. Um, and the thing, the biggest thing that we found when we came to Australia was um, it was open, it was spacious, and we had room to grow and we had room to develop as our own kind of like personalities. And there was no real, um, it, there was no real extended family connection that meant we had to define ourselves in a certain way or behave in a certain way. Um, which is really awesome, and 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 it really had a big impact on our lives. I think that's so good. Mm. And coming coming to Australia in nineteen ninety four, mm. look, dare I say it? I'm going to step in neck out. That that was a remarkably different. I'm not going to say more tolerant. That's for sure, but a, a remarkably different time to say uh, any Brits, you yeah. know, of any skin color coming over these days. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really interesting. I actually actually remember. Um, Pauline Hanson on TV when I mm. when I came to Australia, and it really uh, you know I, uh, my understanding of all of politics was just purely through sketch shows. Um, so course, yeah. we would watch Full Frontal, and then at school we would you know we would laugh about it the next day and kind of reenact re sketches from Full Frontal. Yes. Um, and so uh, you know my, my understanding of someone like Pauline Hanson back then was. Um, she's a figure of derision and, and mockery. Um, and I didn't understand 
that a lot of people took her very seriously back then. Um, yes. And if I think if I'd known that, I probably would have been a little bit more, oh God, you know, she's more than a, a character on, um, you know, Full Frontal or uh, yeah. Fast Forward. Um, it would have really changed my understanding. But I was just a kid. I didn't care. I, I liked, you know, funny things. Funny things. Don't we all love funny things? <laughs> yeah. So 1994, were you, what, primary coming into high school or where, where did that fit in life, life for you? I started in year three um, in, okay. in uh, primary school in, in Sydney. Um, so, yeah, I was, pre- I was pretty young and it was really quite wonderful growing up in the suburbs of Sydney because it was pretty stark, the, just the environmental difference compared to London, um, which is 100% concrete. Um, there's one, there's one plant in London somewhere. Um, it's rumored. <laughs> it's just, Jared on a roster system, right? <laughs> they just pass it around. Oh, it's Tuesday. Where's my, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking after the plant, London plant. It's at, it's at St. Scrivens <laughs> today. And yeah, there's a number of other schools that has to go to first. Yeah. Whereas, you, you know, the, one of the first, like one of my earliest memories was I walked into the backyard of this house we were renting um, and you know, it was in Epping, right? Like not exactly like, you know, raw bushland. Um, but I opened the back door and there's this row of rainbow lorikeets sitting on the, on the edge of the thing, you know, awesome. waiting for food. And then I heard what sounded like a monkey in the trees in the back. I was like, what the hell? That cannot be a monkey. Um, and it turned out to be a kookaburra, um, <laughs> which is still pretty amazing, but the yes. quantity of wildlife. It was pretty stunning. Um, it just blew me away. I remember that very clearly when I was a kid. What What do you think, what in your opinion, has been the most marked change in Australia from, you know, your earliest memories of, of coming here to 2016, God bless us all? <laughs> it's, it's a really tough question because my, my awareness of polit- politics and culture have changed a lot, particularly over the past six years um it really it really seems that that um I, like it's it's hard to say that we're any more or less tolerant or diverse or culturally aware collectively than we were back then we're probably slightly more conservative i, I feel mm-hmm. um yeah. like if if anything but I'm, I'm i'm my perception of all of it has changed quite a lot particularly you know mm-hmm. since, since i've become like delved into media um, and my work, you know, the politics around climate change and energy and all that sort of stuff. Um, I have no baseline really, to be honest. I, I it's sort of, I've, I've only really come aware, um, weirdly post uni university is usually the time at which people kind of start getting involved in politics and things like that. And I, and I honestly, it just happened afterwards, which was very strange. I'm not sure. I, I would agree with sort of the assertion that it's after university, like, People will have a fairly broad and rich experience, broad generalisation warning, uh, <laughs> when it comes to university. You know, mm. that's where we get exposed to a lot of different ideas that we probably haven't heard either at school or at home. And it, for a lot of kids, that's their first real opportunity, cutting the apron strings and living out of home or having an extended experience away from the family. So you get to do some of those wild and crazy things. But I think that we work through that and process it and it's actually coming out of uni or finishing that degree and getting into the air quotes workforce. Yeah. Um, that we really become, we become really accountable for those things. Yeah. You know, we, we become accountable for our opinions and the things that we are thinking and the things we hold dear 
because up until then we could, in the same way we could at school, just in a different political context, ostracise ourselves and hang out with the people that um, had the similar ideas to us. Whether it was we like Dungeons and Dragons or we like socialist politics. Um, And then when you hit the rest of the the big wide world, not everyone's going to agree that they think that Dungeons and Dragons and or socialist politics are a great (laughs) idea. We, um, we, we had funny, we had curious habits. Like we formed groups around unexpected things. It was never, so, so we, we kind of developed, I developed friendships in high school over, um, the fact that I, I had a, one of the earliest, earliest like digital cameras. Um, yeah, because my, my dad, um, worked for, um, electronics company. And so he got all this cool stuff, like all this technology Yes, and, you did. Yeah, it was really cool, and and so we were the like we were making like stupid little short films, um, and just filming ourselves jumping off like ledges in slow motion, um, right. stuff like that. Like we I developed friendships around this little piece of technology that I that I would bring to school and break regularly. <laughs> <laughs> if only we had some kind of tube that you could. <laughs> I, you know, I, I have from 2006, I think I've got some, I've got a bunch of them that I uploaded and I will never reveal um, <laughs> <laughs> what the name of that account is. <laughs> um, I got a notification actually from YouTube that a few of them were blocked in various countries because of the songs that we yeah. <laughs> we put over them, which is okay. I don't think, I don't think I'm denying the world a lot. Um <laughs> But by, by, by you know having a, a surrealist parody videos, <laughs> your Blade Runner around fanfic. the world, yeah, your Blade Runner fanfic is safe. yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Mm. That's man, that's so cool. So that, that experience yeah. where you had, you know, you found these groups of people that had similar interests. You know, it sounds like in part through tech. What did that mean for formative Catan? So I think my my friendships were pretty important in that um, I basically managed to find people that um, were pretty understanding of my ludicrous um, way of being creative. Like I had a very technologically um, enhanced form of creativity. Like I wasn't creative in the sense that I could um, compose a great piece of music or um, draw something amazing. It was always it was always through technology in some way, so often that that came through film. So we, you know we were recording things, um, and by being able to express that in in having like a bunch of friends, um, it, it actually I kind of grew in that way. It was really it was really amazing. Like it was really nice, um, and, and it fed into um, my career in a sense because um, I could discuss and tinker with technology with my friends as well. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that was practice, right? Like I was learning how things work and learning how to take things apart and build things. Um, And we were doing it because we were slightly competitive and we were, you know, we were good friends and yeah, we were, you know, we ended up that um, that's, that's my thing now. That's what I do. Yeah. Do you enjoy it as much as you did then? I think I enjoy it more. Uh, nice. Yeah, and I think the reason is is because um, I've discovered a bunch of new things that that I, I, I it, even at the moment when I when I think about clean energy, like I've only really discovered maybe five to ten percent of all there is to really learn and know about clean energy right now. Um, so that's pretty exciting to know that 
there's all this new stuff that I that I haven't learnt yet. But on the same side, I've also learnt um, how technology can go horribly wrong and how humans can kind of go horribly wrong, like with technology um, when they combine in horribly messed up ways, which I never really thought about when I was younger. I was always just like, I'll, I'll be a robot. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. I wanna... Technology makes yeah. everything better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, pretty much. And, and um, you know, I had a very sort of techno utopian view of the world. Um, I read actually one of the first books I read um, when I was young that I remember reading was Jurassic Park, which is not right. Yeah, which is not a good book to read if you're a kid because it's it was just way above my reading level. But and I didn't really comprehend it properly the first time I read it. But all I knew that there were there was dinosaurs and technology, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> Two of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah, pretty pretty much. And and so. Um, what I didn't realize, and what I re- really realized much later on, is that the guy who wrote it, Michael Crichton, um, was actually quite skeptical about science in general, and, and it was a cautionary tale saying, if you if you to- if you tinker with technology um, without an, a huge amount of caution, um, then you, you're likely to be eaten by a dinosaur. Yeah, life finds a way. So right? yeah, exactly. Um, so that was quite that was quite interesting coming to that realization that all, all of the stuff that made me love technology initially, uh, a lot of it was actually kind of weaving a narrative of like if you're hubristic and kind of over eager with this sort of stuff, then you you'll die horribly quickly. So, well, yeah. well, not quite yeah. the death part. But have you seen the the Charlie Brooker series Black Mirror? I have. I love it. It's it's amazing. It's I only. So- yeah, I only saw it recently, um, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, it's 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 um, it's actually rare to get a really good little science fiction piece that is set in the near future. A lot yeah. of this stuff tends to reach far into the future with you know, spe- which I love. I love that too, but um, Black Mirror did it quite quite beautifully. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by it because I'm quite. I tend to anything that's even slightly critical of technology. I, I come to with a huge amount of caution, mm-hmm. um, yeah, sure. <laughs> just because I, just because it's like don't don't criticize something I, I have an irrational love for, don't you? <laughs> so, but you know, um, Black Mirror was amazing, and I think Netflix is doing a um, a new series. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. There's there's the two seasons that existed, so three episodes in each. Yeah. Plus, then uh, like a seventy five minute bridging episode. None of the stories are related. They're all just the only relation is that in the near future, if we keep doing this with technology, this is what could get weird. My, um, yeah. My, and season three is coming in October with, I think it's six episodes to start with and yes. even more in the pot. Awesome. My favorite episode yes. was the one, um, Oh, you know, I won't sort of see any spoilers, but basically it's about um, people who record their entire lives using these little implants. <laughs> um, and that actually seemed to be, uh, not only was it the most, um, plausible to me out of all of the episodes but it was also kind of the scariest because uh it's it's more insidious it wasn't like Mm -hmm. the technology suddenly goes bad and then and then you know um something horrible happens but this was kind of just seeping into society and it it had become completely normalized oh yeah the human use of it really made it a bad thing yep yep and i was like oh god that's that's creepily uh, likely, like it wasn't just a possibility. It just seemed so probable that that's mm. the way that humans would would deal with that technology if that actually got introduced. Um, yeah, it was, you know, it was a great series. I love that series. Oh, it's, it, 
Charlie Brooker has done, and I always love his yearly wipes, his look back at the year and those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, but when I first heard about and saw this Black Mirror thing, it just took my breath away. The the episode, uh, the, the the one that gets me, because a couple of them I found really unsettling, like just too close to the bone, unnerving kind of stuff. Yeah. But the one that got me was uh, the one where we, we're following, I think it's a girl and a guy, and they're being chased for some reason and they don't know why. And it's not until the last two minutes of the episode that it all comes together as to why they're being chased. They're being pursued unnaturally and they don't know why. Uh, and yeah, that just spun me right out. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> like that. And to the point where if we can master the technology that makes the, you know, builds the premise of that thing, that's going to happen. Yeah. Like they will, people will do this. Yeah. Uh... Chris. <laughs> it, it's um it, it's pretty me. it's pretty hard <laughs> people scare me sometimes Katan. i really yep. i really look at the human race sometimes and go, we are not ready for like it's the spider-man principle right with great power comes great responsibility yeah we haven't even come close to understanding the power that broadly is the human race we have and I, I guess we start to see the cracks if we look deeply but then like anything i guess you know, if we start to overanalyze or, or, or really investigate stuff, you go, well, I can see where, you know, the Mayans had a problem um, as to why they think the world was going to end yeah. in 2012. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just, anyway, my, that's just me and my headspace. No, no, what, what, my, my biggest paranoia, like, sorry, it, it's Please. it's not quite a phobia. It's it's slightly less than a phobia. It's one step down from a phobia, um, but it's it's crowds. Um, it's being in, mm-hmm. in big crowded spaces with no real escape. Um, and it's okay. Like I went to Splendor in the Grass recently, which was amazing. Like there was some excellent bands and I had a really, really good time. Um, but just occasionally when you're at a music festival, you'll end up deep, like really thick in a crowd, right? Like you just, there, yeah. you just kind of have to go with it. You have to yeah. go with this new intelligence that has been created by a thousand human beings, all kind of following a simple set of rules. Um, but you're now in this, what is essentially a fluid um, mm. and it's like, it feels like I'm in an ocean and I'm being swept along and I have no real way to swim against the current. Um, and, and that's almost like in terms of physics, that's kind of what's happening. Um, mm. but horrifyingly, um, I made the mistake one day of reading about what happens in, um, when a crowd panics, um, oh. and I won't go into it because it's <laughs> genuinely horrifying, but it's a similar sort of set of physical principles, right? Like, so... So you kind of get these waves of um, minima and maxima. So, like, you know, people get condensed and then that, that condensed packet moves along like a wave. Um, and, and that's what happens in a, in a um, panic situation. And, uh, you know, I don't know why I read this. Those are stupid things to do. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 that is the thing. That little set of um, physical rules um, pops into my head uh, you know, thank you, brain, for just you know sending that along into my consciousness every time I'm in a crowd. Um, but it's it's really scary because people um, people switch from being relatively calm, rational um, individual actors into uh, a set of like rule following creatures, and there's very little you can do to stem that tide. It freaks me out a lot. Yeah, animal man. <laughs> You must love going shopping at Christmas. 
I never do it. Um, (laughs) The the internet serves all of those needs. Oh, look, I'm blessed by a wife that is super organized. Mm. So I think the latest, in the past 15, 16 years I've been, been with her, the latest in the year that I've ever gone shopping for a Christmas present is about the 1st of December. It's amazing. Yeah, and, and, and Christmas is really always a really nice time for me. Like, I, I spend it, you know, usually with family and friends, and, it's, and it, being, it being relaxed is, is a really nice thing. Um, that's the purpose of it, I guess. Like, it's, you, you chill out at the end of the year. Um, but it's really sad to go to a shopping centre and just see anxiety manifest. Oh, yeah. with, like, anxiety blended with capitalism <laughs> just kind of mushed together, like, in this horrible creature that you know comes like that forms uh as the shopping center the shopping center becomes this um horrible creature <laughs> you, you sprinkled just with a t- sprinkled with a touch of panic you, you've got to stay out of its uh, gaping jaw don't Ooh. don't go into that <laughs> away from there yeah so what do you like uh to spend your time when you're not working doing what's the the, the downtime the unwinding for Catan? Um, I, I do two things. Um, so when I'm not working, I'll either do something that I've been craving, that I've been really wanting to do, but I just haven't had time for. So usually that involves like writing. Um, I might, uh, you know, try and do some analysis, like data analysis. If there's just some, you know, cool looking data sets that I haven't really sunk my teeth into and tweak them out, I'll, you know, I'll spend some time on Twitter and enter some discussions that's my first option and i do that when i have the energy yeah option number two is either um television or computer games <laughs> more more like watching tv and movies uh, so so my partner is a she's a lecturer in um f- film and media um right yeah yeah at the university in newcastle so she, she you know we're, we're often watching stuff together for you know either for her lectures or it's just something that we both really enjoy watching um but we both have a, a very strong love of um tv and movies so um that's a really fun thing to do like we often will often just mm-hmm. find something and get stuck into it like a lot of like a lot of couples do um but uh i really relish it like it's not it's not just relaxation like it's not just chilling out it's actually mm-hmm. we make a point of finding something that we both love and just consuming the hell out of it, um, and that's re- that's a really nice feeling. Like it feels yeah. joyful. Totally, I'm totally down with that. I completely, as someone who nearly watches television professionally, I hear that. Yeah, and I guess like I guess in terms of actual relaxation, I, I lie in my bed, close my eyes, and hallucinate for about eight hours, and then wake up, <laughs> which is which is both <laughs> relaxing and fun. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's the TV that you're vibing out on that you're just digging hard at the moment? Um, we the, every time I mention this, people get slightly angry at me. Um, but we only just discovered Community. Um, Excellent. Yeah, and, and so we we've consumed a lot of it in a very short period of time. We're actually up to the final season already. Um, oh, good. But it's so it's just hilarious, and it, and it just. It hits all the right buttons for me, like because mm. it's got all this sort of sci-fi kind of references and yeah. you know, parallel universes and stuff like that, um, mm. which is quite enjoyable. But the characters on their own, even if you take all that stuff out, the characters are really well developed. Um, 
Yeah. But obviously, as you get to the sixth season, it's lost a bit of its original um, flair, but it's still really funny and it's still quite surprising. So I'm, I'm loving that. Um, Hannibal is something else that I've been meaning to watch for, for quite some time. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to when I get the time getting into that because um, I've sometimes you just come across a show that you have only ever heard good things about. And even if you actively try and find somebody who disliked it, you just, you'll just fail yep. because everybody loves a particular thing. Like Stranger Things is a good example of that. Like most, That's a perfect example. Yeah. yeah it, it just, it, it's just so rare to find somebody who's like, it, the worst that people say about it is people who watched it and went, yeah, it was okay. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel um, bursting rainbows of joy when I watched it, but it was okay. That's the worst I've heard about it. <laughs> And how rare is that in you know this modern media landscape where we have near infinite choice to find a thing that the broader population go from I love it, it's the best thing ever to yeah it was it was good. I have a theory. Um, Please. My, so my theory is actually people um, have a genuine and rich love for stuff that is largely original. I think mm-hmm. I think if something is is an original idea. Or even if it's based off a book or something, but executed in a particularly like courageous and original way, um, then people are just like they they love it. They actually really genuinely love it. Um, and so Hollywood, which is stuck in its mode of sequels at the moment, um, yes. is starting to slowly discover that there is a saturation point for that. And it's unfortunately there seems to be about a five year lag between. <laughs> hitting that saturation point and everybody stops going to the movies and they sort of go, oh, crap, what are we going to do? We're going to have to find something different. Mm. Um, but uh, with television, you'll find much more originality. Like, uh, in t- Sorry, in terms of TV series, rather, you'll find much more originality yeah. um, in-, in terms of the stuff that's being created. And I really love that. Like, I, It's just... like So stra- Stranger Things it's hard to define that as original because it's based off so many references and, you know, it's hitting all these nostalgia buttons, but it's still original, right? Like the plot, the plot is an original story and, um, it's still, of course, like every other creative work, it's, it's sort of a mishmash of other things that the creators are are fans of and that they love. But I think something that like, they take the step of being like, let's actually have a story that isn't relying solely on people remembering a nice thing that they watched um, yeah. in the past. So, yeah, I, I really love it. I'm, I'm really loving TV at the moment. It, absolutely, same here. And, and you're right, I think it's interesting because TV has always been a, an easier point of entry for creatives because broad, again, broad generalisation, cheaper than movies. Mm. Uh, and the payoff is something that can be a little bit more immediate. Um, it, it's kind of... It's an interesting time that we're in because, you know, the big blockbuster movies have become dependable around things like comic book heroes and, and that side of the universe. We're not seeing sort of out-of-the-box new big blockbuster things. Like, I remember back in the day watching things like Die Hard and those sorts of things, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> you know, they, these were the big movies, maybe a bit funny. They had the big stuff, big stars. Yeah. And now all of those kinds of things are surfacing in TV series. Um, where they're seeing the the longer payoff on it because they go, well, we can do this and spend a lot of money and lots of people will enjoy it and we can get it to them easier and the money becomes a bigger deal in that we can get more of it because of that broader delivery sense. 
I actually wonder, something I've been thinking about the past few days is whether there'll be a remake uh, trend with computer games. Um, mm. And uh, I actually, it, it would be really interesting to see this because, um, it, you know, it, once once people reach a certain age and you can start remaking computer games, you'll start triggering these amazingly powerful, um, I call them nostalgia buttons, I'm sure there's a better name sure. for it. But like, um, and, and the most recent example, uh, which made a huge amount of money, was Pokemon Go, um, mm. where it, it just... Like, it, it didn't have good staying power because a lot of people were like, okay, I remember Pokemon now, and I'm an adult, so I'm not going to... Will, I will cease playing this. Um, but, they still, but they still made a huge amount of money, right? Like, they, yeah. like enough people were doing the in-game purchasing thing um, that it was a successful thing. So, um, you know, like, like, I'm sure, I'm pretty confident that that's going to... Maybe it'll be more mobile games than than PC games or console games, but I'm sure that we're going to see a big resurgence in the next five years or so or sooner. Oh man, can, how old am I going to feel? Like, cause already, like I remember my parents saying to me, "What do you mean? You know, this song on the radio? I remember the original artist that recorded that, <laughs> like the Beatles or Elvis or whatever." And I went, "Oh, shut up, mum and dad. That's so daggy and boring. <laughs> uh, this is the better version than that, anyway." Yeah. And in my lifetime. I have seen now movies, not just remakes of films that my parents watched, but remakes of films that I went and saw that are being remade. Ghostbusters and, you know, that that kind of stuff. I know it's not truly a remake, but, you know, contextually. Yeah. How old am I going to be when somebody says to me, like my son, who is nearly 12, hey, Dad, there's this new game coming out. It's called Counter-Strike, <laughs> and it's really good. <laughs> I played what? I played Counter Strike in high school. That was pretty. Uh, who did it? <laughs> we we would go down to the local gaming parlor um, called Kings, oh, um, nice. and and we would. This is sort of just an example of how we 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 didn't really dedicate our energies to, to learning skills very much. So we we would love playing Counter Strike, but what we would do is we would start our own server. Um, so that you can change all the variables, like the in-game variables. Yeah. So we would, halfway through, at a really tense moment, we would change the gravity setting. Uh, in the, <laughs> and then everyone would very gently and very beautifully float up into the sky. <laughs> at a really critical moment in the game. <laughs> or I would change the... <laughs> and, and, or I would change the friction setting on the in the game so that everyone nice. would... Instead of decelerating as you walk forward, which is how normal friction works, you would mm. accelerate. Um, mm. So <laughs> people would just so that in combination with the great, yeah, we we were pretty terrible. I, I actually have another theory. Um, uh, well, this isn't so much a theory. This is an aspiration of mine. Um, but if you know, a lot of things that I love have been remade. That I loved when I was a kid have been remade, not particularly well. Um, or, or badly, like you know, an example would be, um, I think when they did the movie version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, it had a huge amount of potential, and a lot of it went really well. But there were bits that I just couldn't get past um, that infuriated me. Um, and so I was like, okay, one day I'm going to take the most abysmal movie, the, the biggest piece of crap, and just just learn the craft of making a film so I can make an excellent version of a crap movie as, right. as revenge 
for all of the <laughs> so all the people who love these terrible films. Uh, I'm going to be like, that's it. I'm making. <laughs> I'm making a uh, like. So, I don't know. Like you know. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of a. I was about to say Airbud, but um, I, that's look. Gosh. Honestly, that's a good movie. Let's not pretend that that's a bad movie. That's a... Look, as long as you don't next say Space Jam, I think it's okay. <laughs> so I'll do a, I'll do a gritty, uh, realistic remake of Airbud, um, where where the dog, you know, is really having this existential crisis. He's an alcoholic, um, and, and you know he sort of has to go through all these horrible experiences, and then it has a bleak ending. Um, and then it get, goes to goes to Khan and gets all these awards. That's my that's my that's my aspiration. I'm gonna do that. Airbud with the alcoholic dog. Crazy. The um, uh, uh, there's just so much going on in that. I don't know where to start. Uh, I I'm intrigued um, by the whole gritty reboot thing. Gets under my skin a little bit. I, in that I love it. I love some of the just the talking about it. Yeah. Uh, but then. Sometimes you see people try and actually do it; it doesn't play out. But the the re-editing stuff that it just hit the note for me that that's what it was. Um, where I think of like I'm a massive Star Wars fan, and the Phantom Edit. Have you heard about that? Yes. Yeah. They they tried to make um, the prequels good. Oh, well, not the... even the not even the prequels. What what the Phantom Editor did was he released on YouTube an edit of the Phantom Menace. <laughs> Improving it by cutting Jar Jar Binks out of the story entirely. <laughs> That's amazing. And is it good? Have you seen it? It's, look, it, it's you would never even known he was there. <laughs> it's pretty good. In that, like, I, like I didn't mind. I'm a bit of a prequels apologist. I understand why they're there and what they do and what Lucas, what was I think trying to achieve. Um, but I also get the hate for Jar Jar Binks. Um, and to see it, and to because I watched through it, I thought oh, I'll, I'll check this out. And I watched it went. There's still things I'd fix, but that's not a bad film. The 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 Star Wars prequels have a very very important place in yep. in in the process of learning about how the sausage is made when it comes to film yes. films and television. Um, and, and it was my it was my awakening um, in in learning that the first big step for me was learning that something with the same brand or in the same universe won't necessarily be good. Um, <laughs> it, might, it might suck. <laughs> like, I was really shocked. And Star Wars, you know, obviously, I, I love I love Star Wars a lot. Um, and so I was pretty shocked to see that the, the the prequels were so bad. I actually quite enjoyed the most recent one. I think it was it did a great job. Um, that was my big my first big step. And then the second big step was actually learning that. If you have the same director on a film, that 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 won't, it won't necessarily be as good as other films that the director has made because fil- mm. films are just this amazing little chaos theory. Like everything's just moving all at the same time, and the good films that you watch are often films that have had a lot of luck, where everything just fell into the right place. Um, and if one small thing had been changed. Uh, the film would have ended up terrible. I, I, I was just watching, uh, I was just listening to a podcast the other day about the third Alien film. Yes. And the, they were talking about how initially they screen tested, instead of a computer, a CG alien, they screen tested 
a little whippet. <laughs> this little dog, this terrified little dog in the in the video, um, and they put an alien costume. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and they've got this adorable footage of this little whippet running down the corridor. <laughs> just, I tweeted it the other day, and I was just dying because it just it would have been such a different film. Like this oh. really dark, grimy, you know, unhappy film, and then this little whippet right comes from. <laughs> oh my god! I, I would I would love to see a, a, a re-edit of Alien Three <laughs> with the the whippet alien instead. That would improve that film, I would suspect. Oh, where the alien runs up yeah. and licks him to death. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but just, you know, little cute little thing. He's just yeah, really yeah. happy, like, wagging his tail. <laughs> just... But if we force the perspective, Katan, and we shoot it from below and make it look like... Yeah, no, that's Dark not lighting. Happening. It's not Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Oh, man. Katan, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Um, very good question. So I think, um, I think there's two things I want to achieve. Um, one is I want to... Um, resurrect slash start um, my podcast. I had a I had an old podcast which I, I ran out of time uh, called Electric Light Sensation, um, which yeah. was which was basically just like science and energy and clean energy news. Um, I got the name from um, Alan Jones uh, said said that that's one of the symptoms of being near wind turbines is that you get oh. he called it electric light sensation. I was like, what what even is that? And it sounded so spectacular and exciting. I was like, that's cool. I like that. Electric light sensation. That's going to be the name of my podcast. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re... I'm going to sort of breathe life back into it as a more, like, focused clean energy. There's no Australian clean energy podcast, so I'm just going to mm. do it. I'm just going to get... Corner the market. Yes. I will corner that market. And, and, and you know, it's just the other thing is... Um, there's a lot of in the clean energy industry. There's a huge number of really interesting, young, diverse people, um, and they don't often get to. They're the ones writing the speeches for their bosses and stuff like that, and they don't often get to speak, um, and and kind of you know give presentations and and you know talk about clean energy. So I want it to be kind of a platform for um, you know all of the cool like um, all the. There's so many cool people that need to speak about this stuff. So I'm going to do that. Um, hopefully sooner than a year, hopefully in the next month or two. Um, and then the second thing I want to do is publish yeah. some more research on, yep. um, community, how communities react to clean energy when you build big new things next to the, next to their towns. How do they, how do they deal with it and how do corporations deal with it and what happens? Mm. That's, that's a super interesting topic, um, that I want to dig into in academia a bit more. I can imagine, and I'm sure a super emotive topic too. Yeah, it is, and and it's emotive in in, in ways that you might not expect. You know, it's 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 um people people obviously react not very well sometimes to to clean energy. Mm. Um, so uh, people, it is an emotive topic. Like people react uh, badly sometimes to to just clean energy being there, but but interestingly people sometimes in the industry can react badly to the suggestion that maybe um, things need to be done differently <laughs> yep. to, to have better relationships with communities and 
um, to, to, you know, to turn people into supporters rather than haters and that sort of thing. So um, it's this kind of double-edged thing where you've got to think about um, how, how communities react, but you also have to think about how the people who are building the things react as well. Mm. It's pretty interesting. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. Gosh. Hey, Katan. Yes. Thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you said are very special and you're highly valued, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I'm a huge fan of the podcast and um, happy to be here talking about my Alien 3 remake. Oh, bring it on. <laughs> Alien 3, whip it. Uh, it's going to be so good. <laughs> It'll happen. I'm going to do that in the next year as well. Oh, bring it on. Oh, and I look, I will support that and endorse it and tweet about it and even kickstart the crap out of it. Brilliant. Uh, obviously, you are a tweeting human person that does do the tweet on occasion. Are there other social accounts that you would want people to know about? Uh, I'm, I'm never going to reveal my YouTube account. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't come out. We will make that happen. <laughs> I use I use Facebook as well. Um, I, I sort of have like a dual Facebook identity. I've got like a sort of a more public one, and then I've got a super private one. Um, uh, uh, what else do I have? Um, I've got. I think that's it actually. I actually spend the bulk of my time on Twitter. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, you can find me on Facebook as well. I have a website. We all have a website, mate. You know. Yes. Everywhere. What's the website? Katanjoshi.co. And uh, I also, I also run, my partner and I run a talk site in Surrey Hills and we sort of post stuff about that, that there as well. Cool, mate. You're yeah. a busy dude. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on. <laughs> this has been Humans of Twitter and I can confirm that at Katanjo, and that O is a zero, is indeed human. 